Welcome friends to the Someone Gets Me podcast. I am your host, Diane Allen, and I am so delighted that you're here. This podcast was created because I believe there is a visionary leader inside each one of us who is waiting to be seen. In each episode of Someone Gets Me, you will hear useful tips from successful visionaries who will share their stories about how being seen has allowed them to take their vision out into the world with action. A gifted father raising gifted sons. That's what today is about. And I have Chuck Kentis back with me today because he's willing to talk about this really important topic. Now, we all know that Someone Gets Me is for primarily gifted people. And I'm really fascinated with relationships with gifted people, especially in families. Now, Chuck, you, you've heard Chuck already on the show. He was episode number 238, I believe. And you got to hear all about his music career. And you got to hear, well, not all about it. You got to hear a really good taste about it. There was much more we didn't get to cover. And he's a really cool guy. So Chuck, thank you for coming to the show again. Being well, well, willing to talk about being a father of gifted boys. Thank you, Diane. It's great to be here again. I appreciate you asking me. It's a, you know, I had a lot of fun last time. And uh, um, yeah, this is a, uh, definitely a subject I'm very passionate about. Um, so uh, yeah, I thank you for that. Um, I think this should be really good. Yes, I'm excited. So this show is not because either one of us are educators. I'm not a psychologist. I'm a mentor. Chuck is a well-known musician and a very talented one at that who has a musical career with two adult sons um, who are in the arts. So we're not coming at you with diagnoses or any of that kind of thing. This is a candid conversation between two people who really want to just share some information about what is it like to be a father of gifted boys in the real practical everyday world out there making it through. So that's the point of the show. And Chuck is willing to talk about this because he sees the importance in it as well. So let's start a little bit with set the stage like of your boy when the when you had the boys when you first became a dad. What was that all like? How old were you? Like what was happening? What was your life like when these beautiful little beings came into existence? Um me and my wife, Case, were living in New Jersey at the time in Clifton, which is right next door to Passaic, where I was born. So North Jersey, it's, just, it's about eight miles outside of Manhattan into the Lincoln Tunnel. So uh, I was living there, and uh, um, I had been working with Rod on the road for, oh, what was it, four, five, four, five, six, about six years or so that I had been with them, and I was, I was touring a lot. And uh, so... Um, we had Avery in, uh, in May of 94, and, uh, and then Noah came along in March of 97. So much credit has to be given to her raising these kids on her own, you know, I'm, on her own, meaning that I'm, I'm traveling like maybe six, seven months out of the year, you know, I'm right. on the road. But, you know, the good thing was when I was home, I was able to, you know, I was home home like you know i could be there for day night for uh, uh you know a month or two and then i had i, I worked from home to at a studio at home and I would write uh music for you know tv or production music and stuff 
but uh, so they were born there and it was kind of uh, um, that we moved when they were getting ready to start school, like no, Avery was being of kindergarten age. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Rod had said, he goes, you know, you should move out to California. There was about three or four of us who were East Coast people and the rest of the guys in the band were in, uh, out, of, out of LA, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I, has, I had spent a lot of time in LA if, if records were being recorded or rehearsals before I even went on the road. So I was spending, you know, time out there uh, preparing for stuff. So uh, he said, why don't you move out of California? And, and we looked at it because the school system that Avery would have started at wasn't, wasn't that great. And, and, mm-hmm. and so we moved to California. We said, let's find a place where, uh, you know, LA County has a really good school system. We wound up moving to Woodland Hills, buying a place here. And they both started in that school system, which was really high rate, highly rate. You know, and Avery, when we moved here, started kindergarten and Noah started at a preschool across the street. And uh, so as they were growing up, they, they, they made some, you know, it's interesting because the friends that they made that they're still friends with uh, are all in the creative fields. You know, a lot of mm-hmm. them grew up to be in the, in the creative. So they kind of gravitated together and they probably, I'm sure they influenced each other in ways like that. You know, some of their parents were in, you know, in the entertainment business or some of them weren't, you know, they were in different fields and stuff, but they kind of uh, uh, gravitated toward that. Avery, you know, when I was home, I'd have a, I had a studio in, in New Jersey and uh, before he could talk or walk or anything like that, he would be crawling around my studio and stuff. And, and you know, so that was kind of going in to his uh, ears and things like that, you know, and Noah the same way. So I would play different types of music. I always, I, I, you know, my listening would, would go all over, you know, jazz, classical, to, you know, ancient music to, you know, just everywhere, different um, tastes that I had. So, you know, they were exposed to that at a young age, you know, and uh, so when they kind of went into their teens, like the, I, I, I remember both of them, the moments that the, like I'd see the spark happen. And with Avery, he was, we were, and then we moved out to California. So here, I, that's where I'm at in, in my studio here. And um, Avery would come in and they weren't, you know, they were, you know, they're kids. They weren't interested in me. What they did do start first when they were like maybe 10 or something like that, they started making their own movies. And they were, uh, they had, you know, they'd take the video camera and they'd have all their friends and they would script it out and they would have a story behind it and make their own films and stuff like that just for fun, you know? But they did that a lot. And um, they both were playing, you know, as far as sports, they were both playing ice hockey. Yeah, moved to California and play ice hockey. (laughs) (laughs) From New Jersey to California and then they start playing ice hockey. Okay, that makes total sense. (laughs) But it was like, you know, one of their friends were playing and so we signed them both up and, and, uh, you know, that was great for them, you know, because it was something that they were playing, you know, any sport to learn, you know, sportsmanship and work, you know, with other kids and how to, you know, take defeat and practice and all, all of those things, I think are very good disciplines to, to learn for a kid. So, uh, but anyway, the moment that like Avery, uh, I forget how old he was, he'd come into my studio and listen to stuff. And I remember I had on Emerson like a Palmer album that we were listening to, you know, and, you know, you start to come in and listen to different music. And I have my uh, mini Moog synthesizer, which is the same one that I bought in 1971 
And I remember going to the bank and getting a loan to, to buy the synthesizer. I think it was like $1,800 or something like that. And I still have it. And he wanted to hear it. So he took it out and put it, he was sitting right over there. And uh, I hooked it up and he started playing it. And he was listening to it, it was like a bomber. I just saw it just all pop, like, you know, oh. in his head at that moment. And, and, that, and then he was grabbed. You know, and it's funny because that's that Emerson Lake of Palmer is what really grabbed me when I was like in yeah. eighth grade or something like that. So it, it grabbed him. And uh, it, it's it's really kind of interesting. You know, uh, Keith, unfortunately, is gone. He, he uh, passed away about eight, eight years ago or something. So but we got to meet him down at the NAM convention, which is the musical instruments. It's a it's a big convention that for musical instrument uh, right. makers and sellers and you know, all of that. And, and he was always, you know, he was there because of the, uh, uh, the, the, the Moog um, area, you know, right. he was like, right. a so we got to meet him and talk and I take a picture with him and stuff like that. So, you know, that was, it's fun because it was both of our kind of like introduction into that. And through that, you know, his Keith Emerson, it was what introduced me to like Aaron Copeland and Tchaikovsky and the things that he, uh, Mazorsky, all the music that he had was rearranging for his, you know, for playing in, within that band, and then to go and listen to the orchestral arrangements of, you know, Billy the Kid and Rodeo and Appalachian Spring and uh, Pictures on an Exhibition. And so, you know, and then Avery gets introduced to that at the same time. So we're listening to orchestral, you know, the original orchestral versions of that. So he started going into, when he was in high school, he got into uh, the band and wanted to go in the percussion department and wound up on mallets, which is great because mallets is is music. You know, it's not a drum where it's just, you know, you're learning rhythms, but in mallets, you've got to, you're learning how to read music because it's the same as a keyboard, you know, it's yeah. the same way. So if you have vibes or marimbas or xylophones, you're playing keyboards and it's, and it's, it's a whole nother technique because you have four, sticks that you've got to do at the same time you know so you're playing those chords you've got to really be coordinated with that and he went and learned that he was really really good at it you know it was a lot of practice and stuff and uh so he played when uh when the band would play football you know games at halftime things like that and and concert band but they also had what they call drumline which was competition so they would go in the winter uh they would go to different schools and areas and they'd compete. Like, you know, there'd be about 12 other high schools there with their drum lines and they would go through a routine and some of them were just out because they would costumes, makeup. I mean, it was like a full production. Wow. And a lot of them are, you know, there's some that are really good and they were great. You know, they wanted, they won first place a few times. And I mean, when I grew up, I was in drum, drum view before. So I, in eighth grade and seventh grade, I was in a couple different cores and, and learned, uh, you know, it was like military style mm -hmm. uh, marching and playing. I had a, I played baritone horn because I played trombone before that. So uh, for me, it was great to see that again, you know. And uh, and then the kids were kind of like introduced to real drum corps, which is crazy now. It's so intense. But uh, but anyway, he went through that in in uh, in high in high school, and it was great because our the school systems here are great. I mean, we're doing, so, um, so hold on a second. How yeah, did you, uh, how did you feel as Avery was experiencing all these things that you could reminisce on and you had some of the same experiences? How did that make you feel as his dad? 
you know, it was great because I was able to relate to it and feel like uh, confident in that. You know, I'm not a I'm not a sports guy. I never played sports or anything like that. You know, and and case my wife was was. I mean, when I was on the road, she was the one taking them to high ice hockey and games and stuff like that. And so she was, you know, it's funny because she was very, uh, uh, I don't what's the word for it. You know, she, she was a great, you know, she really kept them in there. She, she had more of a, an insider type of motivation for him, for the kids, you know, mm-hmm. which I, I, you know, I was at games and stuff. Whenever I was at home, I come to games and everything like that. But I never played sports when I was a kid. You know, I always played music. And the thing was, I never discouraged them or from anything, you know, it was more about encouragement, you know, so they were playing hockey, Avery's playing hockey as well as being in, in band. And sometimes you'd have, you know, clashes and things like that. So I was, you know, as far as music and him, I was, I was very confident and I knew that I could be, I could introduce him to so many different things, you know, rather than just whatever pop music the kids were listening to. I could, you know, he'd come in the studio and we'd start playing, you know, like I said, you know, orchestral, classical music, jazz. I started introducing to get jazz and different types of things. I said, you know, get a, a wide spectrum of, of what music can be and influence your um, your expression and things like that. Because I could tell Avery was starting to get into, uh, you know, his own composition, things like that as, as it went along. Now, you know, you know, there's research that shows that classical music is the preferred music for the gifted brain, especially for children and mm-hmm. especially for young people who like are agitated or have high sensitivities that mm-hmm. playing classical music with that's not synthesizer, you know, that's, yeah. that's the actual instruments actually helps harmonize and heal the brain. Mm-hmm. And so I say that all the time to people and they go classical and I go, yes. It, it's so good for the brain, like yeah. nourishes the brain. So I can understand that. There was a book that I read. Oh, it was, it was, a, it was Escher, Bach and something. It was the, it was a combination of, of basically mathematics. You know, if you look, if you look at or listen to Bach, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the fugues and things like that, they're very mathematical in, in how they're put together, you know, and uh, the, 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 the structure of it is so beautiful and it sounds so beautiful. It's very complex. And I think that when you're listening to things like that, your mind is kind of dissecting those things and seeing how those uh, movements work within each other, you know? So I, I, I definitely can understand that, that it, uh, uh, that it nourishes that part of the brain that, you know, can understand those things, but they're kind of abstract and they're not in a sense of words or, or anything else, you know? Right, right. Yeah, that's really cool. That's excellent. So tell us about your younger son. Now he's a little bit behind Avery because he's younger. So when was his click? His click, it's funny because he had a couple. So um, I was, you know, I was, uh, I always was interested in photography. I always, I always had a camera since I can remember. And I always, you know, I, I had taken, you know, before digital, you know, I'd always take uh, pictures with film and stuff like that. And I got like um, this uh, mini contacts camera, which for some reason now is like really sought after. It's a T2. It's like people are paying outrageous prices for it. I gave mine to Noah and he uses a lot. It's a film, you know, 35 millimeter. But uh, um, I would take pictures on the road and 
trying to get, I wanted to take black and white in order to get black and white photos done. Uh, it's really expensive, but they said, hey, look, we'll take the, uh, they took black and white and they ran it through, a, they took color film and ran it through a black and white processing. It came up, it came out like these sepia tone things, mm -hmm. you know, less expensive rather than paying $30 for a roll. I'm still paying like $8, you know. So, um, but it, for Noah, musically it was, um, I have a, I have a really, great analog playback system here, you know, turntable and speakers and stuff like that. It's, you know, I, I took a lot of care and putting together kind of like a, uh, a vintage set of things. So they came in one day, him and his friend, and, uh, you know, they were listening to bands like Kings of Leon and stuff like that at the time, you know, so I had bought uh, um, a really nice cop, uh, vinyl copy of their, of one, you know, one of their popular records at the time. And I said, come in here and listen to this here, you know, because most kids will never hear an analog system, which is completely different than anything digital or, you know, MP3s or any of that stuff or streaming. Uh, so they came in and I put the record on and they were, their minds were blown. They were just like, oh, you know, because it, the, the, it's hard to, I have theories behind the difference between, you know, digital and, and, and analog and how your brain processes that. You know, very, very uh, quickly, uh, you know, digital is ones and zeros. So sound that's coming out of a CD is coming at you at 44,000 bits per second. So, and your brain has to assemble that because it's not smooth. It's not a, it's not a wave. It's like, it's these bits that are number bits that are coming at you. Whereas analog is a wave and it's smooth. Your brain does it. And for me, the first time, you know, if you listen to analog for the first time that you haven't listened to digital, your brain just relaxes. It's like, you don't have to, you, you feel like there's not all this work going on. So that was his musical thing. He got into photography, more, he got into more of the filmmaking first. So it was a video camera for him and making uh, films before high school, you know, and, and uh, I'd help him edit some things and stuff because he didn't, there wasn't like really much digital editing or anything like that. So it was kind of like bouncing between recorders and stuff, you know? So, right, uh, right. so he would do that. And then what happened was in, in high school, it was great because they had a media department, you know, right. different from the music department. It was all um, filmmaking, TV production, broadcast news. They had a, like a news channel there. And stuff. So he got involved with that right away and just like, you know, that was, that was it for him. So they had a really good film department. And they would take the kids every year up to Seattle. They had a, a student uh, film festival, international film festival. So they had students coming in from all over the world for this film festival. And they would go in and, you know, there were competition for different genres and things like that. So he was always entered in, in, uh, in, in films. And, and through when Noah started doing the films there, Avery was a senior and he started doing all the soundtracks for all the films. <laughs> His brother was like, oh, man, my, my son, then, yeah, because Avery was doing, that's when he started uh, composing uh, and, and started doing the music uh, for films. And he, and he learned on, you know, the computer programs that, that you can do uh, music for um, and learn that type of production. And, uh, and, and then Noah, you know, gradually got into um, from, uh, you know, digital editing, everything right. on, on computers and stuff like that. And technology, you know, Technology for kids, they just like took off on it, you know, it was like, cause I, I was started teaching Avery uh, some of the programs that, that I use for, for music composition and production like that. And within a year, he was like, bam, you know, he was showing these stuff. 
you know, and, and they picked that up different. You know, I was I had to pick it up as it was developing. So, you know, my, I started in like 83 when the first uh, Macintoshes came. Actually, I, I had before the Macintosh I had an Apple IIe that I started doing. Music I remember on. those computers. Yeah, yeah. The, the floppy disk was yep. floppy. It was like this piece of plastic that was really, you know, and you floppy. <laughs> floppy disk, exactly. And, and so I grew up with the technology and learned it as it, as it grew. But these kids are coming in at the point where it's like really complicated, but for some reason they can grasp it easier and they just, you know, and they apply it really well, you know? And, and so uh, the both of them, you know, Noah was, was learning um, from his, you know, and his friends were kind of, you know, he gravitated toward the people who were doing that type of thing of, of uh, editing on computer, you know, the video stuff that had to be transferred in and, uh, Music is a lot easier on a computer because it's just, it's commands that you do where you're telling an instrument to play. Video, it's like you have to import all of that data, visual data over. And if you want a good resolution, it takes a long time. It takes a lot of space, you know, so you got to have a decent system that's fast and large enough to, to accommodate these type of things. Right. And uh, so, so they both really kept up with the technology and through that, like, you know, after high school, um, Avery went on to, uh, he studied at the film school in Los Angeles, the recording department, and he learned the recording arts there. And, uh, you know, he graduated like first in his class. And, uh, he went on, he did a, 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 he did an internship at a studio. I know a guy who owns his studio called uh, Studio City Sound. And he's, and it's great because he's just so eclectic. He has everybody in from heavy metal, rap to nuns recording there and, and he's just he's a he's a, he's just a, I've never seen this guy in a bad mood and I just said Avery I said go to this guy work there because you're gonna have you know it's gonna be a really good experience for you as opposed to working at some place where somebody's just you know getting coffee you know it's just hard you know, I've seen places right, where it right. must be horrible to work at but this was really cool so he, he wound up getting it uh, you know working there as an intern and then they brought him in they, they hired him as a you know as an engineer and things like that and uh, and then he he took the uh, um, the film scoring course at UCLA the extension course. So he, he went through that where you you would write. I did the same thing. You you write out. Uh, they give you a scene and you score it for like a small section, say a string section. And then you go to a studio and and they bring in a string section and each composer you get a rehearsal with them and then you'd record it twice. You know so each um, student was able to record that and you had to conduct so you had to conduct your session so you learned a lot it was you know right. and he went through that and he really he learned a lot so he's able to you know he scored a couple of movies where he's able to bring in you know orchestral players and and you know have them have record them uh so yeah and then noah just started he's uh he's he he started doing uh um video work for for people he actually started doing like music videos so there was some young young guys that were up and coming that I don't know how they got together but it's like friends of friends and this and that I'll do a video for you this and that and you know he was lucky enough to to hook up with some very very talented musicians and, and one rapper in particular and uh, um, started doing video and the videos were amazing so you know he he learned how to uh, you know what to direct what crew members he needed he had a really good grip uh, group of crew guys who he grew up with you know so like 
he went more in the film film, film direction and right. cinematography. And then a lot of his friends went into lighting, you know, so he had a guy who knew, you know, knew lighting and knew what to bring in and all that. Another guy was a colorist. So after it was done, he could bring this guy to, you know, and they could color the film and stuff like that. And uh, so both of them met, well, I think Avery met first, went up to Seattle to the film festival and made, made uh, met a Canadian kid who had a film in the festival. And they hooked up and they were like, oh, we should work together and stuff, you know. So he went back. He was in Calgary or Vancouver, I think, at the time. He was living in Vancouver and his family was from Calgary. And uh, so, you know, he called up and said, hey, can you do some uh, background music for this, you know. And the, the guy, uh, Kurt, was he was making videos for uh, Compassion, which is a, uh, a group that sponsors, you know, poor kids in uh, different countries and things like that. And right. he was doing the videos and Avery started doing the music with him. And he, he took Avery on a trip. They went to the Dominican Republic to an orphanage where he wow. was going to film there. And Avery got the taste of the real situation there, you know? So it was real. You could see it and stuff. So he was able to come back and be, in, you know, inspire that, turn that into whatever the soundtrack was going to be for that. And then, uh, then the kid finally got, uh, you know, investors together and wanted to do a film and ask Avery to score it. So he's been working with this guy for years now. I think he scored about three or four of his films. And, you know, he does a lot of, you know, shorts and, and things like that. Uh, and he's also doing editing for a, for a, uh, like a big interview podcast that's on, uh, they have their own channel or whatever, you know, but, you know, he's, he's you know, it's, he's working, you know, a lot. <laughs> it's, you know, he's actually he's making it, you know, he's doing, he's making money at it. He's doing, you know, that's what he's doing. And, and the thing that I kind of always, uh, my expression with them is, is that, you know, if you can do something that you love, it's never work, you know, it, yeah. it's, it's like such a blessing that if you can actually do something that you want to do, you know, and both of them kind of went into a, a thing where um, they never had uh, any other jobs, you know, it was kind of like they just stayed with this and went. And I encourage that, you know, my, my parents did the same thing. You know, and, and what happened was my parents took a lot of crap from all of their brothers and sisters. How can you let this kid do, you know, play? I was 15, 16. I was playing in bars. How can you let him play in bars? You know, they, I mean, you know, they were and my parents had to, had to defy them and say, you know, no, this is what we want for him. They were so encouraging for me. And they never kind of you can't do this. You got to, like, get a real job or something like that. And uh, so I kind of went with them and said, hey, you know, you can go to school or you can try to find, you know, you got to work doing something. And they were able to find the work of what they do, you know, and, and they're, they're doing that now. And uh, I, I always felt, you know, encouragement, 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 because that's what I got, you know. Right, and it was, right, you know, right. it was a funny situation because my sister has a daughter and she wanted to go and my, to uh, become, go into theater arts and study at a college theater arts and stuff. I know my sister was saying, you need something to fall back on. That was always the term that all the parents, you, you need something to fall back on, you know, like get a teaching degree or something like that have to, to fall back on, you know. And I, and I told my sister, I said, you know, darling, I said, uh, you know, if, if, if mom and dad had, had been so, you know, like strict and said, no, you're not going to play in, in clubs and things like that, you know, I would never, I would have never moved to where, you know, got to where I was. I mean, I was so lucky to be there. Not a lot of people have any kind of, uh, you know, thing where they can actually make a living playing music. 
so, uh, you know, we had a discussion about that and she let her, her child do that and wound up doing, you know, and, and, and that's, that's hard as hell, you know, acting and theater arts and stuff like that. Uh, there's no guarantee, but I think if you, you know, the child that doesn't have the opportunity to do that, it's going to look back and say, oh, you know, what if, what if, what if, you know? Right. right. Uh, uh, so I, I, never, I never wanted to have them have to feel that way. And that's, you're not going to feel that way. It could, it could wait till your 30s, 40s, 50s, something like that, before you start thinking, you know, I really, really had this in my heart and I was never, never able to do that, you know. Right. I, I'm working with a 16 year old now and um, he's won all kinds of state thespian competitions and everything. And when I first started working with him, he's 14 and right. his parents were like, we just want him to have a gifted mentor as he goes through high school and into college. So he has somebody in his corner like and, you know, he's gone through some depression here and there and he's had challenges like all of us have. Yeah. Um, and I remember I was just reflecting on this the other day that he's like, I don't know if I ever want to do like a musical, like singing and dancing. I can't do that. He can act like no other. His favorite is Shakespeare soliloquies wow. at 14, like, and he could deliver. It was really good. And I'm like, oh, and every time he'd go to a competition, the judges would all go, you know, what did they put on their um, cash and dollar signs? Like that's how good he was, right? So now though, he did his first musical and it was a school rendition of Greece. And so, you know, he got to do a little dancing and a little singing and now he's hooked and he's getting ready to go to state, state competitions and just won all kinds of things. And his parents are very much into have something to fall back on. And I'm the voice that says, we don't need to have anything to fall back on. Mm -hmm. He's mm -hmm. gifted. He has tons of talents. He's got, you know, the highest GPA you can have in the school. He's in a private yeah. school. His grades aren't suffering. He's on the swim team. He's doing this, he's doing that, and this is where his passion lies. So let it go. And now the parents are much more relaxed and like, you know, this is what he's falling back on. This is the fallback thing, mm -hmm. the thing that's bringing him joy yeah. and that he's excelling in because they also support him. So they give him all the resources that he needs. You want a singing coach or you need to want to go to this, you know, camp or whatever to learn, whatever it is, they'll, if they can do it, they do it. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, so then just take away the fear of what if you can't and just see where it goes. He'll tell you where it's going, you know, so that's really delightful to hear that your parents did that for you and you're doing that for your boys, you know, that. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that there's so many niches that you can find and, and you got to you have to be observant and and and, uh, you know, look around and see, you know, I mean, um, you know, Avery's case, you know, when he was uh, starting to compose, I said, I said, you know, look, you've got, you've got a lot of uh, knowledge of, a, you know, your knowledge is pretty wide as far as, you know, you know how to record, you know how to mix, you know how to, you know, balance things and you can do that, you know, so he does, you know, he'll go and do a live sound at a shoot, you know, he'll do, you know, sound editing, he'll do scoring, he'll do, he'll actually do like Foley sessions, you know, so he'll come and, you know, do, mm -hmm. do that. So, you know, his, his uh, talent is, you know, and is what he has experience in is really wide. So he can do a bunch of different things, you know. So, uh, you know, because in any of these fields, it's kind of like, you know, you've got to look for work and, and you know, it's, it's, uh, it's never a steady thing. Luckily, he's found something that is steady for him, you know. So, uh, 
so you just kind of spread that spread that out so it's going to you know you can kind of pick and choose well i don't feel like doing the sound for this i'd rather score this or something like that and noah's right. the same way so you know he's doing music videos he's you know he's done a couple of films they both have films that are on amazon on stuff you know um you know but he does he'll do a lot of photography now you know so he's starting to do his own kind of uh art photography he does a lot of street photography and things like that you know, and we talk about that because, you know, that's, I love doing that. I've, I've done a lot of photography and different types of things. And, and uh, so we kind of discussed that. And one thing that we've been discussing lately is, is that, um, you know, it's easy to photo, like I can photograph, you know, you can go and photograph a, a landscape or, or you know, a, 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 something that's static, that's just there, you know, but it's beautiful at the moment, you know. And right. I, said, uh, I said, you know, I love these photographers who really get the candid, people shots, you know, really got close to him. And he's, he's experimenting with what, what other photographers do. There's some photographers who actually, you know, as they're walking, they'll, they'll go right up to a person's face and with a flash and snap, you know, <laughs> things like that. And you get these crazy type of things, you know, and I do it in a hidden way too. I have a camera that I hang down here. And as I'm walking, you know, it's not up here, but I have it aimed and I'll just take a variety, you know, it's digital. I don't, not, you know, I can take as many as I want. And start taking you know pictures as of people as I'm walking by or things like that, so they don't see that I've got a camera up at my face. So he's starting to do that too with different you know different formats. He's got you know uh, right. medium format cameras and things like that. So so he you know he's starting to do that. He he's done a lot of portraits and things for, for people. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So, so yeah, he's great. Yeah. So what do you have? What would be some words of encouragement or advice that you would give? other dads you know you have to you kind of have to uh well not have to but encouragement is always the thing and, and a lot of times you might not understand what they're going after and maybe they don't understand what they're going after you know um and and then to kind of um you know do your homework learn about you know if they're, if they're into a certain thing find out about it you know if a kid's into uh you know he wants to um learn how to how to mix or how to you know record or or how to, uh, you know, be a, uh, say, a, a director of photography and things like that. There's so many resources you can go to to look at what they are and, and schooling as well. You know, I mean, you know, that's, you can look at different schools where they can go and really, you know, because there's nothing like that. I mean, Avery learned so much from going to the LA film school and stuff. And uh, Noah was looking at, at different places and, and it, it, he was, he learned so much on his own that he was taking classes. At, at college and he's saying, I, I know all this stuff. Why am I, you know, because I'm paying for this. I already know this, you know? And, and uh, so they, there's a lot of resources for them to learn as well, but it's great to know what, what they're actually want to do, you know? And it's hard sometimes because, you know, even in the arts, if, if kids like, you know, so many kids who want to get to just be a musician or they want to be a songwriter or things like that. And uh, I always say, you know, tell them to listen and not just to what they like but get them out, you know, broaden their, you know, spectrum of what they listen to, you know, to take that in and, and have an open mind because a lot of people's minds are just shut, you know, to where they want to believe or what they want to think is good. And uh, you've got to, you've got to open that up and be, be open to those type of things, but uh, you know, get, understand what they like and then, you know, explore together because then, then you got something, you know, you can talk and discuss with them, you know. Uh, oh, what this artist, you know, let's, and, and I've taken them to so many concerts 
You know, we, we used to go to Coachella all the time together and, uh, you know, take them to, you know, there's, cause there's bands I like that, you know, I mean, it's pretty crazy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. There's uh what's that one band we went to see. There's no drummer. It's just guitar and bass, but they have like hundreds of amps on stage. Right. And it's just this, you know, thing. Uh, and uh, they were playing <laughs> in Los Angeles. And the thing I read about it is, is that they were saying, this is a physical experience because the sound pressure is so intense that it, it just, your body, something happens to your body. So I said, we got to go do this, you know? And we added earplugs in just so we wouldn't damage our ears and stuff, you know? But so we go to, you know, I'll, I'll go to all kinds. We go to, you know, Disney Hall and we'll see classical performances, you know, jazz performances and, and like avant-garde artists and stuff like that. So they need to take that in in order for them to, you know, in anything. I think, you know, if, if you're in into film, like, you know, even with Noah, you know, we, we discussed, well, I love, I used to go to New York when I was like 16 or 17, like three times a week and go see foreign films. You know, I just have that love for, for film as well. And so I was able to, you know, say, check this director, check this, you know, not, not anything that's playing now. There's so many uh, uh, people, you know, uh, you know, French, Russian directors and, uh, some of their films are just outstanding. And I said, you know, t check this out. And, and you get a, all of a sudden they get a vision of, of something that isn't pop or, you know, and I actually, you know, my thing is, it's like, why imitate when you should, you know, be inventive, you should invent your own, you know. Uh, my thing was hybrids. It was always like, let's take classical and, and, and let sprinkle, let's see if we can combine the jazz and elements into that or take, you know, so my thing was hybrids, just try to combine those different elements and stuff. And that's what they get when they go out and explore, because all of a sudden they'll get, they'll see something that a director does, or they'll see something that, that a musician is doing, uh, and then fuse it with something that, you know, they're coming up with or what have you, rather than chasing after, you know, it's good to know how these people do things. But, you know, if you're chasing after this guy's vision, his vision was probably, you know, from somebody else, from somebody else who, who liked you know, this guy back in the 50s, you know, and, and you see that in influence all the time, but you can actually go back to the original influence that, that happened and, and draw from that, you know, and a lot of people aren't exposed to that, you know, because it's, um, they're not aware of it, you know. Right, so, so, so being open-minded and really supporting like the expansion yes. instead of being so rigid, I think that's a really, really good piece of advice for fathers with their sons, especially, and with their daughters too, but because I think some, like my parents were very open-minded. I, we could, my brother and I could do whatever we wanted. As long as we were happy, Yeah, we were, so, we had unconditional support. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes my brother used to wish for, he used to actually cry at, at some points for more structure because my mother was raised in such an overly structured home. It was like, I'm not going to be that structured. So she went way the other side. Mm -hmm. And so there's always that balance of being open-minded and allowing expanse, but then having a container. And that's what I'm hearing you say is that you had a really healthy container as their dad, <laughs> like your studio here. Let me play the analog version of what you love. Let's look at what's going on. Let's explore all these things, taking them to concerts. And so there was a container that was loosely held so that they, they had safety to experience and experiment and they had you there with them as part of that experience. It wasn't them alone trying to figure it out. Like, I think there's, there's lots of places in there that are so natural to you. 
that are really good models for, how, you know, if you want your kid to go somewhere or do whatever it is and follow their dream, you have to kind of be willing to walk it with them and have a good time with them and explore and be open. And that's what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's funny when you say in a container too, because like I said, uh, um, my wife cases, you know, I mean, I was on, the, I've been on the road for most of their lives and her, her container was, you know, to teach them manners mm-hmm. and be polite and be respectful and all those things, which they learned, you know, because you see a lot of, there's a lot of kids out there that aren't and, and they're very talented, you know? I mean, I've run across that all my life, you know, very right. talented right. people who are just, you can't be around them. <laughs> they're just like, they don't, they have no social skills or they're just, you know, they're just so rude or, you know, uh, whatever. But right, so, right. so, you know, cause I, I, I've teached both of them uh, as far as, you know, look, when you were the client and they're paying you, your personal taste doesn't, is not what's going to dictate it. It's going to be what they want, you know, and you have to see what they want. If, if you're, if you're working for somebody else, you know, and that's basically like a lot of us, you know, I, I was a sideman and, you know, as a composer, you're composing for a certain person or a company, what have you. So they've got to learn that. And then they take, you know, what, what my wife taught them as far as respect right. managers, you know, being, uh, you know, and, they, and they've got that. That was the thing I was really proud of, you know, how she put them that because they were with with adults and things like that. They were very, very polite and respectful. And people told us that. And that's always that's really such a great thing when you hear your kids are your kids are so polite and you're like, oh, man. yeah, you know, yeah. That, yeah. The, that, that's so important. Uh, because they had a safe container yeah. and the ability to practice and do whatever it is they needed to learn manners, music, whatever it is between you and your wife being able to pay attention and offer that safety for them. And I think that safety really, really matters. When you say safety, you know, I, uh, safety I, as in that they can screw up and they're still going to be loved. They can do great. They're still going to be loved. They could try this and it may not work, but they're still going to be loved. And then there's, then there's discipline like here, look at it this way, do it this way, no, and a correction and support in a loving way so that they could learn the highest and best way to do things. That's what I mean by safety. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah. And, I, and, and, uh, you know, sometimes you just got to let them go and you know when you're getting involved with them you know it's like well, why don't you do this why don't you do you know you have to just all right um do what you feel you should do here you know even though that you know that it's going to be a, you know it could be a disaster potential disaster they gotta learn that you know right. so um but then you can also find something that's like wow i never thought that you know you'd be able to come up with that you know with different things and stuff you know so so they, they need to know that they're uh, being uh, creative in things that aren't, haven't been done yet, say, you know, uh, out of the box um, doing things. I mean, I, that's where I grew up with, with uh, the technology. I always, I always used it in a way that wasn't supposed to be used, you know, push it. And so because you, you, come up with some, you come up with some, you, you're bound to, you first of all, you're going to couple with some that, that doesn't sound like anybody else. You know, and you, you've now you've personalized that. So, because uh, you're using something that's totally wrong way to do it. You know, I mean, they've done that for years. You know, take a, uh, you know, in recording, you take a tape and flip it upside down and do things and flip it over and speed it up and slow it down. So, you know, I mean, that's how that electronic music, um, avant-garde music, you know, started. 
with that. You know, you weren't supposed to do that, but that's what you did. And so you're a maverick at heart. And that's how it is that you've created this really cool success in your own world and lots of different things um, from photography and music and composing and all kinds of things. And you have two really amazing creative adult sons that are um, create, forging their own really neat creative path. You know, it's interesting because I, I, I forgot to mention this. Um, when they were young, right? And uh -huh. uh, uh, I'd always imagine like I'd go, I'd go to the gym or I'm on a you know cycle or whatever. And I'm thinking, I'm saying, man, it wouldn't it be great like one day to three of us like doing something together, you know, in this, whatever it was. It was really a fantasy for me. And I would, I would envision that all the time. Right. And there's been great situations where I look and it's like, whoa, this is some, this is something the three of us did. You know, it was really fun. Um, you know, whether it be a movie or, or a song, you know, I've, I've written with Avery and we've had our songs picked up, you know, licensed out to cosmetic companies and MTV user, you know, and all that it was something we did together. And the one thing, this, this is a great story. So um, I'm, I'm working, I'm up at Rod's house and we're, we're coming up with ideas for, for a record different song ideas and things like that. And um, I had a piece that Avery wrote, and it's funny, we mentioned Blue Nile, because it sounded just like Blue Nile, the right. piece. I knew that he'd like latch onto it. So I started playing it for him, and he was, he started, he goes, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. He went and got his lyric book, and he had lyrics about uh, the last train home when he was young. In, in London, you know, the trains would stop at 10 o'clock, so if you didn't catch that last train and you were like 30 miles out of town, that's it, you know? So, you know, he, he wrote this song, Last Train Home, about him you know, trying to get on that last train home. And, 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 and it wound up getting recorded and it wound up on the album. It's funny because, it, you know, there's, it's him and Avery as the writers on the thing. And it, it wound up on a, on a, like a special edition or something like that, like for, Right, right. Or it was like a bonus track. Right. But still, I'm like, I'm like, Avery, you got, you know, your resume. You got to, you know, there's a co-write with, with just you with him. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay. So like, that's cool, and that yeah. is one of those neat things where when you allow yourself and your children to follow the vision, and then you pay attention, and you've already you've said this several times, and I'm going to reiterate for all of you who are listening to this, and that is to be open and pay attention to what the opportunities are, what's happening so that you can seize opportunities or create an opportunity. And um, that's what happened with that song. You know, you created the opportunity in that neat way and it worked. Yep. So that's, that's important, I think. You know, I think that's very, very important. So have you had any challenges with, the, with being the dad of these two great creative kids and you know, and all the travel you've had and all of that, have there been any like really big challenges that you got, you guys have had to overcome in your relationships? You know, it, it, it varies because here, here's the thing. Now, you know, we talk about when a parent is trying to instruct a kid on something, it's so different than when an outsider is doing it. It's kind yes. of like teachers and things like that. So a lot of times it'd be like, you know, maybe you should go in this direction or here's a suggestion. And the immediate response is, no, no, you know, because I'm the dad and it's like easy for, for them to say to me, you know, you don't know what you're talking about or, blah, 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 you know, but if it's somebody else, it could even be a friend or another, you know, 
with another grown-up in the industry or something like that, they could say the same thing to them. Okay. Word for word, even, and they'd go, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll, okay, I'll try that. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's always the challenge. That continues on. But that's, you know, that's the same. I mean, you've seen it in bands with brothers, you know, who just like, you know, just beat the hell out of each other or something like that. You know, look at Oasis. It was, you know, you'd have fist fight. And, and you think that, the, but the amazing thing is these two work well together because they, you know, they worked on films together and stuff like that. And I haven't stuff. seen any of the, you know, clashing or anything like that. Maybe it was, you know, that I haven't seen, but, um, but as far as that goes, so that's something that, you know, it's hard not to take personally. You know, so, but I, I have to let that go and say, you know, he's just doing it because he's, he's my son. He's a kid. And what, what other, what kids don't want to rebel against their parents at a certain age, especially in adolescence and growing up and stuff like that. So a lot of times they're, they're, you know, there can be times where they don't listen, where they don't want to take your suggestion. So you kind of, kind of, you got to be, be prepared for that and just let go of it and say, yeah, cause it's, you know, it's whatever, because I mean, I could try to beat it into them, but that that's not gonna not gonna learn anything by that, no, you know. That, that will have to, we'll do it halfway, and like, see, I told you it wasn't gonna work, you know, type of thing. So, right, uh, and that's that container again, you know, like, you have you have enough space, and I'm here for you, and I have some ideas, and sometimes other people might say the same exact thing, and it's not personal about you; it's yeah. them finding their way, which is really really beautiful. Yeah, because a lot, a lot of times when that happens, it's like, ah, and then a, like a day or two later, oh, can can you show me the, you know, how to do this? Type? You know, they'll come back because it's it's in, you know, they want, they need your help. They want to, they want to ask for the help rather than you just like pushing it out of them. Right. Have I have a um a client that I work with whose daughter is around the same age as your sons, and and she um she is getting into music and he's he's a well-known musician and she um at one point was like i hate you because i hate our last name because i have to live up to your reputation oh and she didn't really hate him but that was that was the 15 year old like didn't know how to say how hard it is to live up to the last name to their name what was why what was it like a a a name that brought you know fame lots oh got it okay and you know everybody was comparing her voice to her dad and blah blah blah. Right. Well, so then he had a, I think, a really powerful response, and he says, "Well, okay, you know, I want to support you and help you, and I'm happy to give you all my contacts." Which you know most people would die for this person, mm-hmm. right? Sure. Yeah. Um, but she wanted her own name, and I totally, you know, and, and both of us got that. And so he said, "We well, use your first and middle name. You have mm-hmm. a beautiful name. Just use that." Yeah. You don't have to use the last name. Mm-hmm. And then you have your own identity. Right. And if you want anything from me, I'm happy to do it for you. And if not, I'm still going to cheer you on and love you. And things have gone very smoothly since then. The moment there was that appreciation of her own identity. And, you know, and he, he has his own identity, too. And they're very different. Um, but they have done some things together. They've done some music together, you know, performed together too. That's great. That's the moment great. that she could see that it's okay, like she had to know it was okay, you know, because that's how teenagers are. It's totally cool. It was really neat. But I, I loved how he handled it. You know, there was not this fighting back and forth. It was, well, why don't you do it this way? And, and it was very loving. And I think that that kind of kindness and loving while the kids find their way. And, um, that it all works out. 
Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, I experienced, I experienced a similar situation when I was I, I, I was doing a, a Julian Lennon's first tour and his first record had come out. And, it, you know, you talk about comparisons. Yeah, you know, yeah. He did yeah. sound like his dad. I mean, that was the, the thing that, you know, everybody had attracted people to it. You know, he, he was very talented in, in his writing and things like that. But, you know, immediately he's like, oh, my God, I've got to see this guy. He sounds like his dad and stuff. And he had to live with that for a long time, you know, and, and that was, that's hard for, for somebody, you know, especially if they, maybe they didn't have a good experience with their parents. This is a parent, you know, you're, you're somebody who, whose father died, was murdered. Yeah. And, uh, and, and now he's got to live up to something. He can't even talk to him about it. So like, you know, right. it was a lot. I, I give that guy so much credit, you know, for, you know, coming through that, uh, you know, right having right. to deal with that that was a really extreme case but i can understand that you know and it's great that that parent was you know behind behind him you know right and yeah and so i think that that really matters that actually listening and hearing and and having compassion and flexibility yeah yeah so to all the young people listening to you who wish they had parents a dad like you or Maybe they have a message for their dad, like, listen to this guy. He believes in his kids. You can believe in me. Or, cool, my dad believes in me too, like this dude does, you know, because we'll have all different people listening to us. What would you want to say to the teenagers, to the kids in their early 20s who are finding their way? What would be some advice, maybe, or a word of wisdom that you might want to share with? I would say, um, as much as the parent's going to try to understand you, this is the one thing that young people, you know, and I'm, I'm included in that is never thought of what sacrifice they're making emotionally or, or, or anything like that, is try to understand their point of view, you know? So whether it be you think you're being punished by something or being told something that you don't wanna hear, a word of advice or something, just having the back, be open-minded and have the back of your mind of that if they're doing something encouraging is to appreciate it. If they're doing something disciplinary you know, appreciate that too, even though you might not like it, but they're doing it, you know, for a reason for your well-being. So just on this, you know, I think on this, try to grasp onto their point of view, however, how little or, or how much you want to go with it, but realize that because that's going to help with, uh, you know, with the communication between the two. Yeah, I think, you know, as far as, you know, that would be my kind of uh, take on it. If you, you know, dealing with your parents is, 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 you know, try to understand that it's hard. I mean, you know, especially if you're an ad, uh, an adolescent, you don't know anything about adulthood. Like you got to realize that they, they've been through that type of thing, you right. know? So um, I guess, you know, that, I think that would be kind of helpful, you know? Yeah. Everybody has something they're dealing with. Parents included, kids included, yeah. everybody. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, um, Y'all, you've been listening to Chuck Kentis, uh, and you've already heard him on episode 238. And if you didn't listen to that, you probably want to go listen to that because you learn about his career, his musical career, or a good part of it. We didn't cover the whole thing. It's not possible. It would be, this would be like an audio book to cover everything that Chuck has done. But we did cover a lot of really fun, exciting things. And so in this episode, I hope we, that you're walking away from this episode, listening to Chuck talk about these things with hope and inspiration and permission to support and encourage in a really amazing manner 
your children and the other young people that you have influence over, not just your own biological children. So Chuck, I wanna thank you for being here and being willing to candidly talk about these things from just a real practical life experience and um, how your boys and you have done it and your wife has done it and all of you put this together and that's really amazing. So thank you very much for being on the show. Oh, thank you for asking. It's, uh, you know, it, it, like I said, I, I love your show and what you do for other people and if this can help other people. Because I do have a lot of parents who are, who are asking those type of questions with their, with their kids who are, who, are, who are going into the arts and stuff, you know. Uh, so, uh, you know, if, if we've helped them, that's, that's, I think that's fantastic. So I thank you for allowing me to do, to be part of that. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. So remember, everybody, put your face to the sun so the shadows fall behind you because you're a rock star. And you're here on purpose with a purpose. So let your light shine. Go do it. Till the next episode, if someone gets me, be well. Thank you for listening. I trust you gained some valuable inspiration and information. Please join me and other visionaries in the Someone Gets Me Facebook group. Or for more information on my services and additional episodes, visit someonegetsme.com. Again, thanks for listening.